I think we've got to step back. I think a lot of the things we thought we could do, thanks to the Delta variant, I think are questionable now and are a matter of concern. Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID-19 podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Fred and Bill, uh, as always, thank you. We've accelerated this podcast because of recent developments um, and what the data is showing in terms of the infection rate. Maybe you can just bring us up to speed in terms of the most recent statistics. Sure. Well, in the United States, cases are up by just 50% in just the last week, and that was on top of a slightly less than 50% rate the, the previous week. Similar increases in the United Kingdom. Um, in the UK, cases are actually up to the same level as during the post-holiday wave in January before there was any significant um, degree of immunization. Korea, that has weathered the pandemic very well up until now, is experiencing more cases than they have for the entire pandemic up until now. Um, Japan and Singapore are seeing increases. They are not to the level they were earlier, but they're definitely increases. Uh, And in all of these countries, the vaccine programs have really shifted in high gear. Uh, But only in Asia, only Singapore has reached levels comparable to the U.S. and Europe and the U.K. So um, getting the vaccinations out is proving to be difficult in much of the world. And on top of that, in the locations of the world that where vaccinations are available essentially on demand, societies seem to be maxing out at about 50% of the population fully vaccinated. Israel's a little bit higher than that. Um, yeah, we can get higher rates for one dose, but it's only at or slightly above 50% of the population is willing to get get fully vaccinated. Um, as far as Florida goes, I just looked at the data there, and the over the last two weeks, the number of cases has increased 400%. And now Florida represents, the infections in Florida represent 20% of the total infections in the United States. So Florida is, is doing very badly. The problem we're getting into is the Delta variant has a higher are not. Uh, One person infects on average five to six. I've even heard a figure of eight. While the uh, previous, uh, uh, the UK variant was three to four and the original wild type was two to 2.5. So the reproductive rate um, is a very key uh, component you need to factor in when you're deciding how many people need to be vaccinated to achieve herd immunity. When the two, we were uh, we could get away with 80%. Uh, with a six to eight, now we're talking 85, 90% are going to need to be vaccinated before we can shut down the pandemic. So uh, what this tells us is we are not going to, the pandemic is not going to go away it's going to smolder on and on and on uh, unless we can figure out some way to get everyone to accept the vaccine. And let, let me circle back because, um, Bill, you referenced we've sort of hit a plateau here. And I know both of you have been at the vanguard of trying to educate people and encourage people to speak to their trusted medical advisors. 
uh, the president has highlighted the disinformation that is out there, you know, in the internet. Obviously, certain broadcasting companies have had people speaking about this in an inaccurate way. Any hope that the right information will come from the right messengers and get to the people who have chosen, at least to date, not to be vaccinated? Or is this just a situation where, as medical experts, you know, this is this is the environment and this is what we will have to be living with? Um, it boils down to trust. And unfortunately, once you lose trust, it's very hard to get it back. And because the politicians, some politicians and social media uh, and some of the broadcasters have uh, been highly critical of the CDC, uh, Dr. Fauci, um, so that the experts, uh, many do not trust the experts. This makes messaging exceedingly difficult. And so I am not optimistic that no matter how much we message, that that will have much impact. The only way to change people's mind is really one-on-one conversations that may take a great deal of time. So it's one going to be one person at a time uh, to bring back that trust. I don't know, Bill, do you have any ideas on this? It's the one-on-one conversations because that's the way you can, you can teach people. I'm, I'm hoping that you know, organizational-based conversations would be very, very um, uh, useful in getting the education out there so people do start to understand both sides of this risk-benefit equation and can come down on the side that it's much more beneficial for them to get vaccinated. I saw some of the statistics coming out of the United States. It doesn't appear as though the U.S. is exactly a compliant outlier to what we're seeing in the rest of the world. And I'm just curious whether you guys see this as a regional issue or at this point it's just broadly national that we've sort of hit the the numbers we've hit and, and we're not going to move the needle very much. David, I'm afraid that we've, we're at a point where we're, we're going to be able to move the needle a little bit, but we're not going to be able to make the, these huge changes to convince the whole country that this is what's needed. And I think getting that there are certain areas of the country that they're going to see the, the ongoing outbreak. They're going to see friends of theirs get sick and people will decide that they're going to get vaccinated. But on the other hand, as people are vaccinated, they, they still, we know they still get the disease, but they're not getting that sick. So many people, you know, they see their friends walking around and they see them, you know, they have a bad cold and that's it. And so they're thinking, ah, do I want to take the chance on this vaccine when all I'm going to do is get a bad cold? They're not seeing the people who are hospitalized because obviously you don't see the people who are in the hospital. You see the people who are walking around that uh, don't have a, a bad cold. One of the things uh, that has been come clear is that certain uh, people are getting vaccinated at a high percentage. Physicians, 96% have been fully vaccinated. Why? Because the physicians see the devastating nature of this infection and they are fearful of getting this infection. And I, I think we, I've mentioned this before, but I think a little bit of fear is important to have when it comes to this infection. You should be afraid of it. If you're afraid of it, one way to relieve that fear is to get vaccinated. And this may 
turn out to be an important motivator along with building trust and one-on-one and, uh, -on -one persuasion. The unvaccinated will, will infect the vaccinated and uh, continue to spread the infection. So one way, uh, you know, rather than mandating everybody has to get the vaccine, which is pretty much impossible, you could uh, decide that only the vaccinated will have certain privileges when it comes to being in public spaces. So great point, Fred. Of course, the enforcement, the devil is in the details of how that gets enforced. And already I know from some of my uh, law enforcement contacts, there's quite an active market in the U.S. in um, counterfeit vaccination documents. So we'll, we'll see. It's a, it's a, a very significant issue. And, and the point you raise about the compliance amongst physicians that, of course, is in contrast with many hospital workers. And uh, the New York City hospitals have just mandated, we'll, we'll see whether there's a court challenge, but uh, Mayor de Blasio has mandated that all city hospital workers here in New York must be vaccinated in order to return to work or to continue David, to work. David, there have already been court challenges on those kinds of mandates, right. and they have been upheld. Exactly. So the... Um, I forget who it was, but, you know, the description of democracies is the worst of all possible systems except for all others. But when it comes to enforcing compliance with this type of protocol, it is very, very challenging for a variety of reasons. So you, you've done a great job sort of quantitatively telling us where we are. Qualitatively, uh, and Bill, you started to allude to this, you know, misperception, those who are vaccinated, if they are getting the virus, it seems to be, you know, minor symptoms similar to a cold. So other people who have not been vaccinated may be getting a misimpression of the risk reward about or the cost benefits around the vaccine. Can you clarify for people qualitatively where we are in terms of the advantages of the vaccine? And yes, as you've pointed out in our prior discussions, uh, it may not prevent your getting the virus, but when you're getting it, the benefits of having been vaccinated, because I think it's important to underscore that. Sure. If you get the vaccine, it almost completely prevents death. I, I, I only say almost because you never say always or never in medicine. There's always going to be somebody who has some underlying problem and, and they get they become infected and they die. But for for the general person on the street, that has been taken off the table. The same can be said about ICU hospitalization. We are seeing that about somewhere between 1% and 3% of, of hospitalizations, but not ICU hospitalizations, are occurring in people who have been vaccinated. But that's in the face of, these are adults we're speaking of, and that's in the face of the, in the adult population. We're reaching, you know, on the order of 70% have been vaccinated. So the, the, your chance of getting, of even requiring hospitalization if you get the vaccine, if you get the virus once you have been vaccinated, is very, very small. Um, the other very interesting thing about this vaccine is, is that it is more effective at preventing severe disease in COVID than the flu vaccine is effective at preventing severe disease in influenza. 
So I know that starts getting getting complicated. We start trying to put together all of the, the statistics and the risk factors on all of those. But the bottom line is that if you have been vaccinated, it appears that your risk of severe disease, uh, you could still get sick, but not severely ill. But that the severely ill risk has been taken pretty much taken off the table. Dr. Walensky from CDC, she said that this is becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So it's it's we're we're at a point where if you are vaccinated, then it's a question of how much role do you have in preventing further transmission uh, amongst people who are not vaccinated. And maybe to put a separate perspective on this, Fred, I know you look at very closely at all of the hospital data. In terms of hospital admissions, and Bill has made the eloquent point that if you have the vaccine and you do contract the virus, you're not going to end up in the hospital and you're generally not going to have any kind of life-threatening illness. And what does the data say in terms of hospital admissions? Well, the the problem with that data is it's uh, it's reported intermittently, and some states are not reporting it. Uh, for instance, Florida is not reporting that right now. I can tell you in our own experience, um, uh, UF Health Jacksonville had the largest number of COVID cases in ever uh, as of yesterday. I can tell you at, at UF uh, in, in Gainesville, uh, we're, we have a very high census now. We're up to where we were uh, probably in early December. So um, you, the only way to find this out is actually to poll the individual hospitals in most cases. But um, because it is an epidemic of those that are unvaccinated predominantly, uh, the number of hospitalizations um, is uh, escalating very, very quickly. The other thing that uh, I've heard, I haven't seen a paper on it yet, but we know that the Delta variant replicates much more, gets in more quickly, replicates more quickly, up to uh, estimates 10 to 1,000 fold more rapid uh, replication. Um, so what we're finding is the, uh, from the time of exposure to symptoms is shorter. So the people are coming, uh, becoming infectious and symptomatic more quickly. And so that now the lag time is very, very, very short. And uh, that makes it very difficult to control the infection. Um, and, and it makes the spread even more efficient. And a lot of these people will, uh, we don't know yet that the Delta is more, causes more severe disease. There's reason to, uh, based on these uh, viral counts, uh, I would suspect that it may cause more severe disease because if you have more virus in your blood, that's going to stimulate your immune system to an either greater extent, which causes, which is responsible for causing the, the problems with the lungs and the fluid in the lungs. So I, I, I'm concerned that uh, the Delta variant is going to cause more severe disease and we certainly, again, anecdotally, are we're seeing younger people ending up in the MICUs. So uh, I, I think we're, we're in real trouble right now, I, I have to say. And just to maybe sum up your concerns 
have been and continue to be the risks that unvaccinated people pose to themselves as well as other unvaccinated people, but also now to the vaccinated people, albeit those who are vaccinated are less at risk for fatalities and hospitalizations. That's exactly right. One, one point I would make, and I have personally seen three cases, uh, if you're uh, immunocompromised, um, taking any kind of immunosuppressive, uh, or if you're over age 60, um, you, and even though you're vaccinated, uh, those, some of those individuals are becoming hospitalized. They aren't, so far they aren't dying, but uh, so that those that are vaccinated uh, who are elderly should be very cautious because if they encounter someone who's unvaccinated with a high and get a high dose of virus, they could still end up in the hospital. And one other thing that goes along with this is that the the standard that we've been using of six feet, 15 minutes to consider someone a close contact because of these high levels of, of viral loads, as Fred was talking about, it appears that transmission can happen much more quickly than that. Um, yeah, there's, there's in Australia and uh, other locations, Israel also, they have documented video documented evidence of transmissions that would happen just in ca- relatively casual contacts, like a, uh, cashier at a store. Um, that type of quick contact can, might be enough. So I think we may see a change in the recommendation on the six feet and 15 minutes. It has not been changed yet, but I think we may see that change. Okay. And obviously, as the, the data tells us more, what is your advice to people just uh, concerning their day-to-day lives to mask or not to mask to travel or not to travel. Fred and I were talking a little bit about this before we started recording today. And I'm a little bit more uh, open to people who are vaccinated, being able to go out in public without masks. Um, I think Fred, he has a different opinion on that. My own behavior, I'm, I'm avoiding very crowded places, but I, I don't feel uncomfortable being out without a mask in public because I'm vaccinated um, and because I'm avoiding crowded places. Yeah, I think if you're older now, I, I think you should wear a mask, even if you're vaccinated. I am now, well, I've just, I was, I did go to an indoor restaurant once. I've stopped that now uh, because the waiters uh, are near you for a long time. If any one of them happens to be infected and it wasn't vaccinated, um, you are a considerable risk of, of picking up the virus. Um, so I think we've got to step back. I think a lot of the things we thought we could do, thanks to the Delta variant, uh, I, I think are questionable now and are a matter of concern. I don't know if the CDC is going to change their guidelines. I heard the estimate in the U.S. is 80% of new cases are due to the Delta variant. So that tells us that that is the dominant uh, strain now throughout the U.S. And the rules, as Bill suggested, have changed considerably. And so now I don't know how helpful social distancing will be. I think you're better off trying to minimize your exposure to public spaces at this juncture 
public closed spaces. And the rules for returning to an office, a school, more or less summarized, um, if you haven't been vaccinated, you shouldn't be going back. And if you have been vaccinated, there might be certain precautions you will still want to take. I think it's it's reasonable to go return to the office if you are vaccinated. I think that wearing a mask is should be based on per, your your own personal assessment of of risks. And uh, I think it's yeah, someone who is you know older um, has any risk factors they may want to wear a mask. Um, but I don't personally. I don't think that that we should have unvaccinated workers in in close tight offices, and which describes almost all offices. The offices don't aren't don't uh, they're stingy on the real estate, of course. So I, I've been advising companies to to not invite back people who are not vaccinated. I, I agree with Bill's recommendation. Let me um, move on to another topic, which was whether there would be a need or benefits of a third vaccine. Do you guys have any thoughts about the need for a third vaccine, how people should be thinking? So there have been multiple studies that are coming out that are uh, with various vaccines, whether Pfizer, of course, has been a lot of them, but Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, they've all had studies showing a durable immune response at, you know, now eight months out, 12 months out. The, you remember the initial studies started the end of July last year. So just just now starting to get to be one year out. And this is it's demonstrating that there is a durable immune response and the immune response also appears to be an adequate response against the Delta variant. We know that there is there is a decreased efficacy of the vaccines, but there is still an adequate response. Um, there have also been a couple of interesting um, uh, studies that have been looking at antibody levels, both from naturally occurring disease as well as vaccine over time. And in some cases, they're demonstrating even increased neutralizing antibodies over time. So from that standpoint, it doesn't seem to me that a third dose is going to be significantly beneficial for the general population. People who have immune compromise, they are likely going to need a third dose as part of their initial series to max, maximize their immunity to begin with. And whether or not they need a, a remote dose a year, you know, eight, eight to 12 months out, that, that certainly remains to be seen. The other thing that was very interesting was looking at the Sinovac vaccine comparatively against the specifically Pfizer vaccine, and it produced 10 times less neutralizing bodies immediately and looking at it again in a delayed fashion. So people who've gotten the Sinovac vaccine may actually need some type of booster. I agree with Bill. There's one new piece of information that just came out yesterday and it is not peer-reviewed, but I actually read the article yesterday. It's from NYU, where they looked at neutralizing antibodies to the various variants, and specifically the alpha, which is the UK variant, versus the delta, and versus the uh, normal wild type. Uh, with the uh, Moderna and the Pfizer, there the reduction in neutralizing antibodies is not significant, and everyone is protected. However, with the J&J, they found that with the Delta mutant, that the levels of neutralizing antibodies 
are uh, only about 1 to 30, which is very low. And there's reason to believe that J&J &J will not be protective against the Delta variant based on this one not peer-reviewed study. But I think that uh, what this is raising the possibility that for those that had the single J&J &J vaccine, they may want to consider a booster with either Moderna or Pfizer. Following right along with that theme, there's multiple studies now that primarily being done in the UK and Europe, that if you combine an mRNA vaccine with a, an adenovirus-based vaccine, such as the J&J &J or AstraZeneca, so you give one of one and give one of the other. I don't mean combined at the same time, but with the typical roughly month separation between them. The result is almost a tenfold higher titer of antibodies than if you used two doses of the same vaccine. So what we may see with this is a recommendation if you got J&J &J, that, yes, now you get need to get a an mRNA vaccine as a second dose. And that may actually end up being better than two doses of the mRNA vaccine. There's a lot to be a lot yet to be known on that. I was going to say, obviously, you guys will be following that uh, those developments. Uh, I just want to conclude because it's so important for uh, people to be mindful of what to do in certain situations. Both of you have shared with me that the symptoms of um, the virus, if you've been vaccinated, could easily, easily be confused with, you know, just general fatigue, the uh, a bad cold, um, headache, etc. What are the symptoms? For, these are for the vaccinated people. What are the symptoms that they should be looking for or be sensitive to? And then what in turn should they do in terms of following up with their physician, testing, et cetera? And if they do test positive, what should they be doing? If you believe you have COVID, if you have the symptoms consistent with COVID, you should get a pulse oximeter. And rather than just trying to monitor symptoms, I'm better or my worse, follow your oximetry. And if your pulse oximeter gets into the low 90s, that's the time when you need to start seeking additional support. Um, so I think that's really the, the biggest thing with that. In terms of what the symptoms are for people who are vaccinated, um, what I am not just reading, but I'm seeing in our patients is very, very commonly what they're developing is symptoms that are very consistent with seasonal allergies. Itchy, runny eyes, post-nasal drip, a cough that feels like it's due primarily to the post-nasal drip, although it probably is some, some of the, uh, the typical pulmonary inflammation that is seen with COVID and unvaccinated. But it's a very, it seems to be a very different presentation in vaccinated and with Delta. Um, as, a, as a general rule. Of course, as we know with, with this virus, it, it affects many different people differently. But that has been a, a common presentation of the, the Delta virus, Delta variant, especially in vaccinated people. Um, I think Bill, I, uh, Bill has more experience with outpatient than I do, and I would defer to him on this. Um, we have seen in those that were vaccinated, um, uh, at least one young person that I can speak to, uh, did not have uh, any infiltrates in the lung. And, and I think that those maybe uh, those over 60, 65 could get pulmonary disease. But in general, if you're vaccinated and you're uh, under 60 or 65, uh, you were 
pretty much protected from the pulmonary manifestation of the disease. The way the infection starts, it usually starts in the upper way, airway and then about three to four days in, moves down into the tracheobronchial tree and then into the alveoli. And it seems the vaccine uh, keeps it in the upper airway and it never gets down into lungs in most cases, which is really good news. And that's why most patients that are vaccinated do not end up being hospitalized. I want to thank you both. I guess I'll sum up on the following, which is, I think it was Dr. Fauci who said that uh, we don't dictate the timeline, the virus uh, dictates the timeline. It is so important to follow the data and so important to stay on top of what we're learning from the data. And so I want to thank both of you. And I think that's really your takeaway message from all of this is that we are we continue to learn. Exactly, David. Thank you. Thank you, David. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Both doctors are part of the RAIN Expert Network. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution and get critical information on the COVID-19 pandemic delivered daily. Visit us at RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.